This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. I think I find it really interesting that hypersomnolence that it's they are sleeping well in when you measure the sleep, but they are not restoring their energies. So you can actually, if you if you figure out what is the reason, you can learn quite a lot about sleep, how it's restoring, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I will say, not everything from the research so far shows that it's uh, that there isn't anything abnormal in their sleep. Um, so we published a paper in 2019, 2020, establishing an objective sleep phenotype for idiopathic hypersomnia with and without depression. Because that's the other thing is it's really hard for a clinician right now to determine is this depression that's driving someone to spend all this time in bed sleeping and feeling low energy and lethargy or is this an organic disorder that often presents with depression? And that kind of directionality becomes a major challenge. But we published a paper that showed uh, a deficiency, a reduction uh, bilaterally, so across both hemispheres, um, in slow wave activity. So in the first episode, we talked about how slow wave sleep is kind of the proxy we think is the mechanism by which we establish restoration. There's a much more that goes on below that that uh, basic scientists are teasing apart. But slow wave activity is a way that we can uh, assess restoration. And we saw um, these clusters as we used a 256-channel EEG net. Uh, We saw these pronounced clusters that were reduced slow wave activity on kind of central parietal regions. Um, What does that mean? Unclear, right? We're using a peripheral measurement to try and capture electrical activity in the brain, and the signal can be bouncing around all over the place. And so it's hard to really know where this this deficiency is coming from or what it means. But it does show that there's something abnormal going on. And it makes sense that uh, it would lead to the absence of restoration. It wasn't necessarily where we thought it would be, though. We thought the reduction would be frontal um, because we think, you know, with the frontal lobe, that would be the most salient detector of sleepiness and vigilance. I'm hopeful to replicate this finding in my dissertation. And if so, that can lead to expansion of assessment to utilize a differential EEG montage to better characterize their sleep. But that's just to point out that there does seem to be some hints that not all is well in their sleep. The kind of global variables we use right now, whether it be the number of awakenings during a night or one's sleep efficiency. So sleep efficiency basically is just the proportion or percentage of time that somebody is sleeping over the time period they're affording themselves to sleep. Um, All of that seems to be within healthy ranges. But that may be too surface to really capture the disturbances that we need to. Uh, So I'm exploring things like transitions from non-3 or N3 sleep to N2 sleep that would not be captured by our traditionally utilized measures to see if that gives us better proxy or resolution into abnormalities in their sleep and could suggest some sort of underlying biological similarity that 
others could go and target through pharmacotherapy or other invasive techniques and potentially others can target, like myself, through behavioral changes and things like that. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. And, and how, how do you see... Do you see any link between long COVID and hypersomnolence? The long COVID seems to be that people are tired all the time and they mainly spend their time in bed. Do you, do you see some links and could long COVID teach something about hypersomnolence? Fantastic question. And before I answer that, I just want to say we saw a major uptick in narcolepsy prevalence and incidence uh, around H1N1 um, when that when that the avian flu came out. And the rationale for that is narcolepsy in some ways manifests as kind of an autoimmune disorder. Uh, and so viruses can often trigger that cascade of response. Now, I would, would suspect we see a similar thing in narcolepsy around COVID as well, um, just because of the fragility of the autoimmune. We just haven't seen that data yet. There isn't, there's been theoretical uh, considerations that hypersomnia itself is an autoimmune condition. Um, it's also been considered a circadian uh, disorder in some ways. That one's a bit more complicated to parse through. But we haven't seen the same rise in prevalence or incidence around viral infection and hypersomnia. There actually is some data out there that one's exposure to mononucleosis leads to higher susceptibility for hypersomnia, uh, but it hasn't been fully fleshed out. And I think that's kind of the heterogeneity of the condition. So I just want to pause there and say that I don't think that COVID right now, based on what we say, is likely to cause organic idiopathic hypersomnia, whatever that is, right? But what I do think is that, as you pointed out, the long COVID increases one's fatigue and just general sleepiness, which leads to major changes in their lifestyle, such as being more sedentary, in bed for longer periods of time, and the body's going to adjust, right? So I think of it in the sense as the body receiving this information of, okay, we went from being awake 16 hours a day and needing to turn on and upregulate certain wake processes to sustain that to now we're only going to be awake for 12 hours a day. Okay, well, I'm not going to put as much attention into the upregulation of those wake processes. And instead, I'm going to allocate them elsewhere and kind of conserve them. And then you're, I think the way I see this is the plasticity of a human. Now you're in training the biology. And that in turn could eventually manifest even when COVID itself is removed from the equation. The patient phenotype looks like idiopathic hypersomnia at the end. And that I think is the real challenge here for researchers to parse through as we try and subclassify these conditions is, well, it's clear that, or it seems likely that many different paths can lead to the same patient phenotype or what the patient looks like, complains about their symptoms um, downstream. 
But for me, the causation is probably going to lead to different biology. I don't seem to think the same biology is going to be underlying somebody who from day one, since they stepped on, you know, earth or let's say at age five, right? You started to see these tendencies of oversleeping, sleep inertia, meaning you have these difficulties transitioning from uh, sleep to wakefulness that persists across their adolescence, persists across their adulthood, so on and so forth. I think that biology is going to be a lot different than somebody who had no difficulties like that, experienced COVID, experienced long COVID, eventually had behavioral adaptations in response to long COVID that then altered the biology to look like a phenotype that in many ways mirrors the same path that was outlined up front, but is a totally different journey to get there. And I think that's the real challenge we face right now is we're not assessing differences at that level. We're basically saying, all right, you're reporting long sleep, you're reporting sleep inertia, you're reporting non-restoration from your sleep, you're reporting excessive daytime sleepiness, you have idiopathic hypersomnia, you're in my study, and you get lumped together with everyone else who has idiopathic hypersomnia. And so I think that leads us to just chasing our tail a little bit. Yeah, I, I think really fascinating and important discussions, but I think we are running out of our time. So as listeners can hear, Jesse is very knowledgeable and, and good talker. So how can people find your, your podcast? Well, first of all, Ollie, thank you so much for the kind words and having me on. It's a true pleasure. And, and you do an exemplary job uh, providing the platform for a quality interview. So thank you there. And uh, my apologies for the long-winded rambles and such. I've known for that. So I lived up to my my uh, history, I suppose. For listeners out there, I'm uh, most accessible personally over Twitter. At uh, Sleep and Sports is, is my Twitter handle. Feel free to reach out to me there. Follow. I post a lot of studies, talk a lot about science. Um, I also do uh, host the Sleep Research Society podcast, which is a new initiative. Again, I want to say that all my opinions and the things I express today are my own and not a reflection of the Sleep Research Society or other organizations. But uh, we have our first pilot episode up uh, from last month, and we'll be releasing a new episode. Uh, I believe it's Tuesday, June 7th will be the next release. Uh, and we'll release on a monthly cadence there. And that can be found on major podcast platforms uh, where you would find just about everything else. Uh, and then also shamelessly plug, there's a fun collaboration project I'm doing with the host of the Sleep Junkies podcast, which I also recommend to check up if you have a voracious appetite for sleep, but we call it the slow wave. Uh, and you can find the slow wave on uh, major platforms as well. And that's purpose to have more pragmatic discussions on things that center on sleep, but aren't just about describing the science and results, but we talk about kind of implications at the societal level, the complications you know, we had a recent episode on daylight savings time. I know that's at the forefront of consideration now. And yes, it's great for biology, but there's more nuanced things like that that will inform legislation. Um, so check out the Slow Wave channel. Check out the SRS podcast. Find me on Twitter at Sleep and Sports. And don't hesitate to reach out. I love talking sleep. And um, Ollie, thank you again for having me. And I hope I did a service to bring sleep to your platform. Thank you. This is this is a brilliant episode. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on 
Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.